Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today's episode is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles, California, that helps businesses grow online. So if you're feeling stuck or like you can't grow your bottom line or your social media accounts, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us and request a free consultation. All right. Today on the show, I got Vincent Orlick. He is the president of Social Media Club Phoenix, contributor and evangelist to the Yes Phoenix startup and, and entrepreneurial movement. He manages social at Arizona State under their knowledge enterprise section, so their research side of things. He's really a practitioner when it comes to social media. He's in the in the weeds. He's down there. He's on Twitter every day. I've known him for a couple of years. He's been on a, a previous podcast of ours. Really, really good guy. Really, really smart guy. And has had his hands, you know, his fingers on the pulse and his hands dirty and social for close to a decade. So really interesting conversation. Sit back and enjoy. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm sitting with Vincent Orlick. Vincent, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. So you are the president of Social Media Club Phoenix. You do a lot in the startup and entrepreneurial you know, movement there in Phoenix. You also manage social media and planning and strategy for Arizona State University Knowledge Enterprise. That's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> start us off, rewind it back. Talk to me a little bit about you know your journey in marketing, what brought you to it, and uh, yeah, your story that's brought you to where you're at today. I'll keep it pretty concise because there, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of different jobs I've had, but even before I found marketing and, and specifically social media, um, because as we all know, social media is still a, a baby industry, even though it's been around for over a decade. My start in marketing, it's kind of similar to Nick from one of your previous episodes, Nick Verdugo, local SEO guy, in the sense of I started in sales. I had a, an ad sales component of my job, I worked at the for Gannett, which is a big conglomerate here in the states, and they own the Arizona Republic, which is the the newspaper of record here in Arizona. And I was doing ad sales there. I ended up with a territory, a sales territory of small mom and pop retail. This was in at the height of the recession, <laughs> in about oh eight, oh nine, actually more like oh nine, two thousand ten. I was going in and trying to sell advertising to small mom and pops for the newspaper, basically. You can imagine how that went. So I was trying different things. And, and one of the things I, I discovered at that time was Yelp. And a lot of these small mom and pops did not have any idea what Yelp was or that they all of a sudden had a, a page that they needed to claim on Yelp. And, and whilst Yelp isn't you know typically social media per se, uh, it's got a social element, of course. But I would go to them with the printout. <laughs> I would print out the page and highlight the the reviews and discuss them with them, and, and in particular the negative reviews. And be like, hey, you know, um, through your advertising, you can essentially address these issues that people are raising in the negative reviews indirectly. That would at least get me a foot in the door with a lot of these small businesses that didn't want to see another sales rep come in the door. From there, I did that for about a year. Then I really got into it when I, I worked for Facebook Institute, a pilot program here in the Phoenix area for their small business ad solutions. And I, I became a client partner in, in that uh, capacity. 
and found that, oh yeah, social media can be a paid career if you do this right. And I really enjoyed kind of informing people, educating them on how this all works. Did that for a while, then ended up getting some full-time gigs at a place called IO Data Centers here that was since bought out a couple of years ago for about a billion dollars. I was not part of that, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but at the even now, I think it's still the startup in Arizona that when those lists come out of, of the startups that have received the most, have raised the most money in funding per state, that one is still the top one. I think they raised like $2 billion back in 2012 or so. Um, so they had a big hiring and, and they hired someone for social media. That was me. Had some different gigs running social for different places. Had my own agency um, that I actually partnered with my friend Kelly. She created the agency and asked me to come aboard as a partner. Did that for a while. And for the last couple of years, it's, it's been really my dream job to be able to work at Arizona State University in my capacity, social media, like you mentioned, marketing, planning strategy for the knowledge enterprises, the research side of the university. So it's anything that falls under research. It's a lot of different brands, accounts that we we handle essentially and guide. So that's been for the last couple of years. So we're trying to do some we're the number one school in innovation five years running, so we're trying to be innovative with our social media. Very cool. Obviously, you're in the one thing I respect. Well, I guess not obviously to the listener if they've never, but one thing that I really respect about you is that you know you not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk. You're on the platforms, and you're an actual technician on the platforms in your personal brand. Where I do feel like a lot of people are pie in the sky and aren't actually getting their hands dirty and tweeting and running Twitter accounts. From that experience, really being tuned in, I guess, what have you learned, it can be recently or over the long term, that has been pivotal to growing a community? And you can relate that back to you know social media club, but like growing that community, I guess, how has your day-to-day using the platforms really enabled you to, to grow that? Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I, that is a huge compliment coming from you to hear that about being practitioner, technician. I pride myself in trying to be that way. So I really appreciate you saying that. In terms of community growth, I mean, I'm kind of, <laughs> I have my hands in, in a few different places for a community and they're all different. It's really crazy. I mean, some of the some of the principles, I guess, are the same, but but it's just funny how different tactics, different strategies work with for different communities. Um, one of the really the big, in addition to Social Media Club uh, here in Phoenix, that we've grown that that community here, aimed mostly for like the marketers here in the valley, social media marketers, but it's also for people that really have have a small business. They they want some guidance and questions. It's not a paid thing. It's you know, it's it's we have basically a Facebook group that allows people to come in and participate. But really the bigger group even that I'm part of is uh, YesPHX, hashtag YesPHX, which is our startup and, and tech community here in the greater Phoenix area. And that has been something I've really helped try to grow for the last five years. Connecting with people in these, on a community level, responding to people. The, the biggest thing that I've has helped me that I've found to be the most useful it's something that we've heard a million times and it's true. It's providing this this help when people need it, <laughs> when they ask for it, if you can. And, and you always can. That's how I approach it. You can always provide some sort of help. Maybe it's not you knowing the answer to something, but 
it's you guiding that person to the answer to someone else or taking 30 seconds to Google something just because they didn't do it. Well, maybe they don't have the know-how, you know, they, they, for whatever reason, they, they didn't think to do this or they couldn't find it. And if I can find it for them, absolutely. Like if I can provide that, that helpful guidance that has been, it sounds simple and simplistic, but honestly, that has been the single biggest thing that has helped help grow communities. And it's not just me doing it. It's having the core group of people that are also willing to do that, to help grow the community, help other people, help answer their questions. We pride ourselves here in the area for YesPHX that our tagline essentially is about generosity. (laughs) The most generous community of entrepreneurs, we say in the world. And that's only because when people come in, they tend to experience that. And I don't know if, if it's native to only the Phoenix area because so many people come here from other places and everyone is looking for help and everyone's looking to make new connections and build these new relationships and succeed and start over even, right? I mean, that's obviously, you know, the whole idea of a Phoenix and uh, Arizona. I mean, a lot of people come here to start things new and fresh. And, and we've seen that over the last even decade with people moving here. Um, but I think that's, that's played into it. So the idea of directly helping people when they ask for it is huge. And I know that's, that may not be like, you know, use Facebook to do this, but all these platforms play into that and are also geared towards that. And you touched on well, a couple of things there. One, I firmly believe like social media's greatest power is community and customer service. Yes. Um, and then, you know, your evangelists and brand evangelists will come out of that. I don't think it's a place to just like show how cool you are. <laughs> Which, Agree. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's a, a lot of charlatans, especially in the marketing space that are just out there trying to show how cool they are instead of actually being helpful and positioning yourself. Like you said, going through and being that helping hand is that's how you grow you know, a business, that's how you grow a community online because that user, every time that person comes back and goes, this group or this community is helpful to me. And and that can be a vehicle that, you know, helps them get from point A to point B or, you know, from one job to another, whatever it may be is so huge. And then the second part of that, you said it's, you know, you're like, it's not necessarily post this on Facebook, which I agree. I think a lot of times people get caught up in the tactical minutiae and we don't actually look at the overall strategy. So you'll see in the last year, for instance, right? Everybody rushed to TikTok and I'm telling people, I'm like, having a TikTok account is not a strategy. Right. You have to have, does it match your audience? Is there, can you create content there? Does it fit your voice? Like how does it tie into the overall brand strategy? And I think a lot of times we forget there has to be kind of principles of the community and then a strategy of like, what are we, right? We're not going to be everything to all people. So this community, whatever it may be, you know, sticks to these three or four principles. And then what mediums are best for us to get that message out. Because yeah, I think, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, but I believe that the marketing industry has like, and marketing professionals have a problem with chasing shiny objects. It's not really looking at their community and building it, but we chase the like, oh, you have to go all in on Snapchat, otherwise your business is gonna die type of mentality. And then it switches to the next platform, (laughs) you know, a year or two later. I agree. I mean, I think that it's gotten, in some senses it's gotten better in some it hasn't. I think the people that do that have always and will always do that. And and even within that group of people, 
there's different factions. You know, there, there are the people, and for this uh, discussion, I mean, the marketers that are just jumping on something and just rolling with it and, and doing it for a brand or, or encouraging the brand they work for to to just jump on and start doing it. I do think there's there's less of that overall, but it, it definitely still exists. It's still out there because you see, you see some of these accounts that, that just kick up out of nowhere and it doesn't make any sense. Like if you're in marketing, you look at it and like, well, that doesn't really fit their audience. Why are they doing that? And sometimes there's not really a good answer. That said, there are, there's another group, I think, that they are more of the early adopters where they are going to, and I, I would say, I would count myself probably in this group in the sense of TikTok, for instance. When that was musically, I went and created an account for myself just to check it out. Like I, I wanted to see what it was. It was big. It was getting big when it was musically. It was getting some buzz. I wouldn't say big. It was getting some buzz as, you know, could this be the next big thing? So I absolutely, as someone in marketing, I wanted to go and, and see what it was. And, you know, for myself, I kind of played around a little bit, did a duet with a friend, you know, messed around with the lip syncing, but didn't really pursue it and definitely wasn't pursuing it for really the clients that we had at the time. I think that was when we had the agency. So our clients really, it didn't, it, it didn't fit. Their customers were not preteens, uh, <laughs> who was primarily right. on that, right? TikTok. So I had the Musical.ly account. So that changed to TikTok. When TikTok acquired it, you essentially, you kept your same account for the most part. I personally will go on and I like, I have fun on TikTok myself. I watch TikToks endlessly. We'll see what happens with that platform going forward. There was just some more news out that US government is banning it on government issued uh, devices as of now, not just military, but any government issued devices that the, the House passed that today. So I think that now we'll go through to the Senate. So that being said, it's like, well, now how, how much do you pursue it? It's still huge. There's still a million, well, more than a million. There's still a lot of people using that. Um, you are seeing more and more companies get on their brands because it's been around for a little while. Maybe they've had some time to actually evaluate if it is for them. And then also at some level, you know, something like that, there's a lot of users on there. It, it ha- the audience has grown and changed as it's gotten more amplification there's adults on there. It's funny because you're surprised how many people are actually on there that maybe don't admit it <laughs> or right, they're, right. Just, they're, watch, they're just on there to watch. They're not creating anything, but they're just consuming content. So that's interesting. I, TikTok in particular is funny because I follow several small businesses that they do a really fantastic job telling their story on TikTok and it's riveting. Like st- for whatever reason on that platform rather than Instagram stories or Snapchat or Twitter, their story, the creative tools that are available there is told so much better there. I'm not going to say easier because for them I don't think it's easier. I think it's work. It just comes across really powerful and in a creative way that is it's it's hard to dismiss. To your point, it's not for everybody, you know? But I do think at now that it's grown, there are more, there, there are going to be more and more people on there. We'll see if it goes the way of, you know, Instagram stories or, or Snapchat stories. We'll see which, which way it goes. Yeah. That one's got an extra element with the whole Chinese government side of things. Yeah. That, uh, kind of will make it an outlier, I think, either way. But to, yeah, I, I, I think um, it's like anything though, right? It's like these platforms, take them, evaluate, do they fit into your business? You know, if right. I was running a law firm, I might not 
invest in that first, not saying right. I wouldn't, but not first, you know, I think I would look at other channels that maybe aren't as, uh, you know, Google AdWords isn't as sexy, but uh, right. it's still a huge business. <laughs> you're going to take the low-hanging fruit. I mean, especially as a small business, you're going to take the low-hanging fruit first. The, and, and resources matter. Bandwidth matters. Do you have – is it just you? Is it – do you have people working for you that can handle this stuff that, it, you know, they can dedicate the time and the effort to creating good content and, like, making it worth the while where it's not just, hey, we're having a sale today or, you know, whatever discount – and it's not just this promotional thing that no one pays attention to and just adds to the noise. That's that's the biggest key right now is there's so much. I mean, TikTok, of course, just adds to it, but there's so much. So how do you how do you rise above the noise? And for small businesses, is it even possible? Is it actually possible to rise above the noise? Or do you, are you just going to fight your way through that and navigate it to get to you know the islands where your customers live? <laughs> Right. And that's the whole thing is like going and dumping a bunch of resources in to create a mediocre account. Right. <laughs> and like, is that worth it? Which is a question that every business owner listening to this will have to, you know, make, find their own answer to. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, I've known you online as hashtag not a guru sometime <laughs> or Maven. Yes. Or I yes, think you have yes. a couple other buzz rock star. The not um, a guru thing is the big one. That's the one. That's like the hashtag <laughs> I've I've had for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me, I guess, about because I still look, we're in the space. So like yep. we kind of know if somebody says they're a guru or ninja, we're like, right. Oh, okay. Sure you are. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> wink, wink. I'm not ever going to buy from you, but I still see clients still introduce me as that sometimes. I'm like, yes. oh, here's Jordan. He's our social media guru. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I feel the, I feel like the pain in my stomach. Yep. So I guess talk to me about kind of the birth of that, um, that hashtag um, <laughs> and a little bit of, yeah, you know, pushing to tell people like, look, I'm, I'm not this maven. <laughs> um well, I would say that it started. I can't remember exactly the specific start reason other than I hated seeing it. And this was, I mean, geez, 2012. Like, I mean, it's, it's been a while. Mm. And I hated seeing people calling themselves those words, calling themselves a, a social media guru or Jedi or what have you. Um, that, and that said, that wasn't how I wanted to be referred to as, or I wanted to be known. I would never call myself that. Right. So, so I just, I don't know. I just spur of the moment. I, th I just created that. I have to be honest, Jordan, back then and, and for a couple years and even to this day, but especially back then when I was first really getting on and using like Twitter in particular, people loved it. <laughs> people, <laughs> people would DM me. People would just at mention me and be like, Oh my God, I'm following you just because of that hashtag, just because you're calling yourself like, like, Oh great. You know, I, so there, I, I experienced a lot of initial love around that. And I was like, Oh, you know what? Maybe there's, there's hope here that there's more people than I think that really do not like that. They, they're not on board with that. And you really don't see that much these days where people are calling themselves that at least in their bios, let's say, whereas it, I think it used to be more prevalent maybe a little bit more on LinkedIn <laughs> you see than oh on Twitter God, because Twitter's so public and LinkedIn people just aren't going to LinkedIn profiles in that sense a whole lot as or as much as Twitter bios I think but yeah it was 
was just one of those things and it caught it was big like people would respond to it so because people were responding to it i just i just always kept it and then so the hilarious thing that i have this running joke with well i did at the time but when tony robbins came out i'm not a huge fan of tony robbins but i happened to see, it was on netflix he had his big special right. a couple of years back that was called i am not your guru and i'm like wait a second hold on this was right after and i'm not saying he took it from me but you know timing is interesting it was right after blab was a thing and for those that aren't familiar, Blab was like this live streaming, conversational, social platform. You could have up to four people at a time talking in the windows, basically like what you see now on like Instagram Live, except like four people. And on Blab, Tony Robbins had been on Blab, on someone's Blab show. And I don't know, am I, I had it there. I had it there. So I don't know if, if that played a part in it. I'm not going to say anything because I don't think it really did. But it's just always funny. We joke about it, like how that came out. And I tried to do some some tweets and things around it that I'm <laughs> like not a guru. And yeah, it's been a fun thing. And it is how people kind of know me, I think, at this point, especially within social media. When people introduce, I- I've gotten that for sure, too. I cringe a little bit, but I also try to remember that like they're not. And this is a big one just in general. Like the people that are not in our world, they don't quite know everything that that we know in terms of like what's going to bother us or the ins and outs the in the weeds and all that. So I have to just, just take it with a grain of salt when people call you that because they are meaning it as a compliment. I think 100%. Yeah. 100%. And I mean, (laughs) you know, you got to go get some royalties from Tony Robbins. It sounds like, (laughs) (laughs) no, I think it's so huge. And, and, you know, from a listener perspective, I think that it's like, take those compliments graciously, but we shouldn't go out and our LinkedIn bio shouldn't say guru rock star or have emojis. If you ever want to be taken seriously as a marketer, (laughs) please do not put emojis in your LinkedIn title. Rocket (laughs) ships in your LinkedIn title will not get you hired. If anything, they're going to hurt your rate. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, now the state of social, I feel like with being under quarantine, it's really, you know, just the, the that setup has caused people to become creators. I think you're seeing just way more social media uptick, people creating way more. How do you feel about, I guess, like the, you know, it's such a general question, so take it where you want, but like the state of marketing moving forward, you know, post COVID, wh- where do you think, where do you think things are going to go more towards the creators? Are brands going to get back in and start controlling stuff? Where do you see that going? That's a really good question. It's the million dollar question. I, my personal feeling, which was actually happening before pre-COVID, before COVID, is that I don't think that we can continue along this same line uh, with everybody doing everything on every platform, including brands. Now, there's a separation I think that needs to always be made that I don't think enough people make when they're talking about social media marketing for brands. And that's Big brands, enterprise brands versus small, small business, small, and, and even a third, you know, small mom and pop versus small business that is more like maybe that local franchise in your city versus the one pizza place, you know, versus Domino's. The marketing cannot be the same and the approaches cannot be the same, especially on social media for all three of these. It just can't. And I think there's too much of that. I think there's too much of the small places trying to mimic what a big company 
is doing or just even some of the strategies in general. And I don't think it's going to work for them because they're much more localized. They're, they're just not going to get the customer from 20 miles away. They're going to they're gonna get their local regulars within five, maybe 10 miles. They can't approach it that same way. So, so one of the things or the, a big thing that I've, I've been kind of trying to test and, and explore more, it's been a while, but I really feel like there's a need to drive audience to specific channels. And how do you do that? Well, if you put the same, the same content on every channel, even if you customize the caption, let's say, even if you do that, that's not tailoring the content enough. That's, we've been doing that for a decade. It's, it's been the whole, a lot of the same approaches for, for 10 years for, for even brand social media. So at this point, you should consider having this specific piece of content goes on you know, your Facebook. This is for Twitter. This is for Instagram. Example would be every Sunday night, we go and we use Facebook Live to talk to our community, answer questions, interact what have you, or do some sort of episodic show, but it's live. So every Sunday you're doing that. And then guess what? You don't leave it up. It's ephemeral. You do it. You, you promote it, promote the heck out of it that every Sunday you're doing this, people will find it if they want to. And, and then that way you're creating this exclusivity, this, this need, because if you're just, if you're just putting it up there and then, well, I don't have to go and watch the live cause you're going to leave the recording up forever. So why do I need to go watch the live if I want to see it? Well, if you want to drive people to a live event, guess what you have to do in general uh, on something like that. So that would be like one example versus on Instagram, you do videos that are not live and they're uh, focused on entirely something different about your business. So I, I really think that that whole idea of, I guess you call it channel exclusivity for your content is going to matter, you know, where you can only get something. I'm going to follow this channel and this channel of this brand because this channel offers this. I can only get it here. This channel offers this. I can only get that here and I can't get that somewhere else. And, and there's a couple things. So I always use the analogy or I always describe it like, look, Twitter is a dance floor. Things are, things are moving fast. The yep. DJ is changing the song every minute. Facebook is a sit down restaurant where your uncle is at the dinner and he's over political. Um, <laughs> <laughs> LinkedIn is the bank down the road, right? And yep. Yep. Uh, Instagram is your first week of college. Now, you're not going to act the same in all of those different settings right? If you go dancing into the bank, people are going to think you're crazy. So it's really coming down to, okay, how do we segment the, um, segment our content for each platform, but yeah. really tapping into what frame of mind is our user in when they go to that platform? Like when I log into LinkedIn, I don't want to see photos of dogs and stuff. Like yeah. I'm, I'm kind of there to like, give me some Harvard business review type content, right? Something career related, marketing specific. So I'm right there with you. And then on the flip side, I don't necessarily want to see, you know, that super serious stuff on a TikTok. It's like, this is where I want it to be lighthearted. So I, I definitely think that um, brands are going to have to, one, put more money into into social and marketing departments to facilitate that because it is now, it essentially will quadruple the work for some, <laughs> for sure. some marketing departments, but it's worth it like you said. And then the second part of that is when you have content that's diversified on each channel, if one of those channels goes up in flames, like Snapchat, mm -hmm. you're not stuck being like, crap, that was where my only audience was. 
and I right. was only making content for Snapchat. Yeah, that's a, or, that's a great point. Say the government comes out and says, guess what? China's stealing all of your information on TikTok. We have to block it. Like yep. that's a very real possibility. And okay, were you making videos or doing stuff on, you know, Instagram to kind of as a, a safety net? Like that that kind of stuff I think is really important too. I love that analogy um, of each of each platform. I hadn't really heard that to that extent before. It's always the uncle that's political, isn't it? It's never the aunt. <laughs> always. <laughs> Always that it's always the uncle. He gets a couple of whiskeys in him, and then you really <laughs> hear what he has to say. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Vincent, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. Before I let you go, let people know where they can connect with you online. Yeah, th- thanks for having me again, Jordan. This this was really fun, and I'm a big fan of the show, as you know. Been listening for quite a while. Anyone that wants to connect with me, it's my name pretty much everywhere. It's Vincent Orlek O R L E C K. You may find some stuff under that not a guru hashtag, but otherwise, I mean, look for me on pretty much any platform under my name. Uh, I've I've tried to stick with stick with that and make it easy for people. Awesome, and I will put links to uh, Vincent Social in the show notes so you guys can scroll down wherever you're listening to this. Hit that link and uh, and connect with Vincent. Thanks again, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jordan. It was a blast. All right, everybody, that's it for the show. As always, before you close this, hit that like, share, subscribe. You know I appreciate it, and I'll catch you next time. Um.